Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Good morning. Surprise. If you didn't know, I am not Rabbi Matrafiro or Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Um, so surprise. Um, it is lovely to be here with all of you today, though. Um, Rabbi Schatz is sort of here and sort of dealing with something at the moment. Um, so I am going to take over and get started. Um, so we, this week's Parsha is Parsha Toldot. Um, I'm going to share, share my, oh, um, I'm going to share my screen if I know how to do that. And we, there we go. Um, we are going to take a look at the Parsha and sort of where it starts. And we're going to go through a quick summary. Um, so it begins with some genealogy as it does. This is the story of Isaac, son of Abraham. Um, Abraham begot Isaac. And then Isaac took a wife and she was barren as women in the Bible sometimes tend to be. Um, and then she has two children, Yaakov and Esau. They are twins um, and they are very different people. Um, Isaac preferred Esau and Rebecca preferred Yaakov. And we get this story where Yaakov was cooking and Esau was hungry and Yaakov, at the instructions of his mother, um, tricks, tricks Esau into selling his birthright. And so we get that and we, um, Yaakov gives Jacob this, Yaakov gives Esau, excuse me, this delicious meal and he eats it and Yaakov gives up his birthright. We then get a story where, um, there's a famine and it's interesting that the Torah here notes that it's different than the famine of the days of Abraham. Um, and Isaac goes to Avimelech. Um, with Rivka and um, and we have this story that Isaac is worried about what will happen with his wife and so he passes her off as his sister and then Avimelech sees that, that Isaac and Rivka are um, having relations and Avimelech calls him in and, and goes what's the deal? We could have all gotten in trouble had we tried to be with her um, and so it is it is not a great situation um, and so Isaac stays there, um, and he becomes very wealthy in the land. Um, and then he's in the land of the Philistines and there's a whole bunch of stories about him and water, um, and wells and he's digging wells and the Philistines are saying, no, those are our wells. And he's saying, no, those are my wells. And they name a bunch of places, um, which is always interesting, um, Biblical names are interesting of where they come from and where are the wells that stand. Um, and it's really fun. You'll go to Israel sometimes and there will be like seven places and they'll be like, this is the place where this thing happened. Um, and he dug another well. <coughs> Excuse me, lots of wells. Um, and then he goes to Beersheba and he gets to Beersheba and he has a, and God appears to him um, as the God of Abraham. And God reminds him of the blessing. Um, and he builds, he builds an altar there as Abraham used to do um, and invokes God by name. And there are, if I remember correctly, this is where, maybe not, this might be where, where one of our davening services come from, but I could be quoting that wrong. Um, and then, 
and then they have another another fight and he makes a pact um that this that this well and this place of Beersheba will belong to him um and they make oaths and they name it um Shiva um and the name therefore is Beersheba um and it's interesting because it comes from Shiva is it either Beersheba either comes from seven or from this word oath um which is kind of a fun thing and then we have Asa and his his wife um and that Isaac and Rebecca aren't happy about it. Didn't marry a nice Jewish girl, not nice Hebrew girl. Um, and then we're getting to the verse that we're actually going to talk about today. Um, and so this is where I will sort of pause and read it um, in Hebrew, because I think the Hebrew is particularly striking here. Um, and, and it was that Yitzchak aged, and his eyes dimmed, um, and there was dimness in his eyes that he couldn't see. And he called to his son Esav, his, his gadol son, either greater or older or bigger. The lot, lots of commentaries have lots of feelings about that. Um, and he said to him, son, my son. And And he said to him, I'm here. Um, and that's the verse we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, so that was a really quick summary. Um, I realize now um, I'm yeah, going to stop. Yeah, can I interrupt you a second? I'm having technical problems and I couldn't get into the class through my email. What's the ID, the nine digit ID number? Um, eight, seven, four. Okay. Wait, can I, do you have the chat? Can I send it to you in the chat? Yes. Okay, great. Oh man. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry about no the problem. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I realize that it's recording and I don't know that we want that. Oh man. Okay. I can do sorry. it. Don't worry about it. I got it. Thanks. Thanks, George. Robert Schatz is back. Hi. Sorry, guys. This is going to be one of those days where I am, I am, I am mostly here, but there's a lot going on as you all know. So um, I'm very excited to see your faces, <laughs> but I'm very glad that Jackie prepared this class. Okay, you can go ahead, Jackie. Great. Well, I, I mean, I'm happy to turn it over to you. Oh, yeah, no, I can for do questions. it. I yeah, can, yeah, great. In um, my three-minute Parsha summary. Great, awesome. Okay, so actually, Jackie, why don't you put back up the verse, because um, then people can look at it while they're asking Kushiot. Um, so any Kushiot, any questions about, this is a verse that I'm sure, even if you didn't know that this is where it happened, you probably have at least... Um, heard it alluded to, especially with the dimming of Isaac's eyes. Um, but that doesn't mean that that you fully understand it, or that you know, either you don't you don't have questions about it. Um, but would love to hear any thoughts. Yeah, Marlies, go ahead. Well, I guess um, I know from other times studying that it, it seems you know Yaakov is so much preferred to Esav by the tradition, and the rabbis, and it just seems a little strange to me because it's they're they're both you know both Isaac and Rebecca's children so it's yeah just commenting on it and also mm-hmm. you know if there's ex- explanations I just stick to yeah I didn't actually come across any explanations on that I don't know if Jackie did but but it's a very good um, you are picking up on something uh, very interesting especially in how kind of 
the Torah unfolds, right? Like when we were at the beginning of the Torah and there weren't as many characters, (laughs) it was very different. But now as the Torah is unfolding and there are more characters and therefore more kind of personalities and characteristics, right? And more character plot lines. um, What you are, what you are noticing is that, that, that that is also growing and also unfolding. Um, And, and here, here we're seeing it in in a few different ways. So yeah, Nancy. Yeah, go ahead, Marley. No, I I guess I don't know if I said this, but like almost like he's not part. He's like he's not. I mean, I know that they didn't have the word Jewish then, but but since he's from, like, isn't is he not considered like part? Got it. I didn't realize you were connecting this to his religion. Sorry if I missed that. I'm sorry. It's been I haven't really had much sleep in the past four days. Um, so so the yeah, so this is um. It's still a time before we're like calling anybody Jewish, right? I think Abraham, once he has circumcised him and his sons, um, we consider them to be Jews kind of in our modern day um, rendition of what Jew means. But they definitely aren't considered Jews right now, as Jackie used the term before. They're, they're Hebrews, right? They're, they're not even, well, maybe they're considered Hebrews here, but they're, they're considered Semites, right? They, they are from a land, a Semitic land. Um, so it's it's interesting that that you are that you're picking up on that because I think if you if you bring it from our context, yes, there is definitely Judaism. Um, and if there is uh, and if you're just taking it from like the historical context, then no, <laughs> there's not, um, which helps in some areas. But but interesting that you're that you're noticing that. Um, sorry, Nancy, and then Mike. Thank you for for explaining that again, Marlies. Um I guess it's. It seems as though the last word, Hineni, seems like it's some sort of magic word in Genesis. Yes. And so here it is again. <sighs> yeah. And Great. It's just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, very, very interesting that you say that. I was also thinking the same. I was trying to jog my memory to um, to to rem- to n- wonder if there was any Hineni in between the Akedah and here, I can't think of one, um, which would be really interesting because those of you who study with me for Midrashah, we were talking about how in some versions of the documentary hypothesis, Isaac isn't even alive until this general part of the story with him and Rebecca. And so the fact that he kind of resurfaces as a character with that same word is pretty powerful because it's the word that his father uses. So yeah, all of those connections around the word Hineni are really interesting. Um, I just can't remember if there in fact is not another Hineni in between, but if there's not, then my point is even a better one. <laughs> so I hope there isn't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, good, great job pointing that out. Uh, Mike. Yes. Um, first of all, I'm very sorry about the, the community's loss. Thank you. Um, Rabbi Schatz, um, I, th- I, I was just remembering something that Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs talked about uh, in a commentary about uh, even though that Isaac's eyes were too dim to see, yeah, he 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 that he somehow knew that 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 both sons were were going to get blessings, but there were different types of blessings and. Uh-huh. Uh, Anyway, that that's sort of an interesting way to thing to ponder. 
Yeah, that I hadn't, I didn't know if that was him, but I had heard something similar. So I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you have an idea, like a commentary or something in your head. And, and as you're looking at other commentaries, you're like, where's that one that I was looking for? Can you just show me the one that I want to see? I wa-. So it's interesting that it's probably Jonathan Sachs, because I was not looking into modern commentaries in that way. Um, but yeah, it, the, the eyes are too dim is a very interesting part of this. Um, and again, going back to that documentary hypothesis moment that I just brought up a second ago, that is how um, that that is how they kind of bring him back onto the scene uh, in terms of his eyes and uh, Isaac's eyes seem to be very prominent in his story. Um, and so Rabbi Jonathan Sachs's um, connection to that here is is just proving that that story is going to grow I guess or snowball from this very moment of the of the eyes growing dim and what that means and how it might might mean that or might not mean that at at all uh Nancy or is your hand just still up from before yeah okay any other thoughts or comments I've heard just to add yeah Bonnie Bonnie, Bonnie's got a hand up just unmute I think you didn't unmute you're usually so good at that Bonnie I've had a hard day so far. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Everybody. Anyway, they could have just used, uh, called his son Esau, but they made a point of using the word older. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So the rabbis did comment on that quite a bit. Um, And interesting, of course, because of how the birthright is then handed over, right? The the older is a very prominent piece of the story. Um, But... There's like the rabbis keep saying, why did you say older? You didn't need to say, we know who's older, but it's possible that because of how the Torah was written down, that we knew the rest of the story and how it actually was going to come to be a very important fact of who was older. Um, So that's, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Yes, Denise. Um, I only thought of it now with what Bonnie was saying um, but maybe it's also giving us insight a little bit to how Yitzchak was thinking about it because Yitzchak felt connected to Esav and, mm. and, you know, so maybe like he thought of him as you're the older one because, right, because in order to get the blessing, they had to trick him, which means that his baseline was this is the older one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, like you mean that maybe he's kind of, What's the word? Not advocating. Um, like proving to himself almost that this is that, that it was necessary for Asaph to be the one who's seen as older and get all those perks. Is that what you mean? Like the um, because of their connection? Yeah. Like I don't even know if proving. Um, I think it's my sense is that <clears throat> like that it was just his ongoing awareness. That it was just, it. like it's giving less like a little peek into how he thinks about things. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. Yeah, Renee. Um, I just, to me, it's just, it's it's kind of unnerving that he's calling only Asa. I mean, as obviously as a mother of more than one child, it, it would seem to me that if I was about to die or thought I was about to die, that I wouldn't just call one kid. I would want all three of them yeah. to be by my side. Yeah. Three in my case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. It also, I think what, what, you know, what we're about to see is that 
there there were specific things said and specific blessings given to different ones. So was this just him bringing Asav close first, and then he was going to bring Jacob closer after? Um, who knows? But it is a really it is a really interesting point that he didn't just have one kid, right? He had two kids. So bringing bringing only one forward in this particular moment is a really um, is a really intentional a really intentional decision. Yeah, Rebecca. What I wanted to point out was that um, the way the way it's written, it looks like he calls him me, so he calls my son. He doesn't say Asav, and, mm-hmm. and Asav is the one that that does respond. But I think part of the explanation is, you know, he's being the older son is when he says my son. It's supposed to be obvious that he's calling. Maybe he's only his older son or, or the mm-hmm. preference. He doesn't use his name. He just calls him my son. And we have to understand why Jacob doesn't show up. Yeah. What you just pointed out made me think of the fact that in the Akedah, this is exactly the... Oh, you can't... This is Jackie's screen. But from from the word Bani to the word Hineni, um, that's exactly the same formula as the Akedah when Abraham says this same formula to Isaac. Um, so, you know, it, it, it starts off by Isaac saying, hey, dad, right? But then the response is Bani and Hineni. So it is what, what I know it's not what you were saying, but that's what it made me think of that, that there is this, this formula that we might be surprised that earlier on it says Esav et ben, right, et Esav beno hagadol. But then when it becomes a little bit more intimate, Esav's name is not used. It just says my son. And is that, is that to Esav? Is that to going back to the next question? Is that Jacob? Is that, is that just a, a quality of saying my son and then whoever answers is actually my son, right? It's, it's an interesting, um, interesting piece that you just, that you just raised. Yeah, Mike. I'm I'm just thinking. Could it be that that the that w- w- because it, it says too dim to see that it, his eyes could could it be setting the stage that that for us to see that he might make a mistake here? Ah, yeah, probably, probably. I mean, I've read <clears throat> I've read commentaries that have said he had cataracts. <laughs> it's like such a a very literal way of reading this. Um, but yeah, I think that it could just mean that, you know, as you get older, especially in, a, in an era where there were no glasses, right? When you get older and your eyes are weaker, that it's harder for you to distinguish between one son and the other or, you know, one thing and the other. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, okay, Jackie, you want to kick us off with whatever you were uh, thinking in the realm of mental and spiritual health here? Sure, which is great because I feel like it came out. Oh, um, great. I, okay, I put the verse on my source sheet. Um, and the, okay, so this is our verse. And then literally the next thing is the Akedah. Because um, I was reading this verse and that was why I wanted to read it in the Hebrew. <laughs> that was what was so striking to me is this language and it's funny we were talking about this class last night and um and David was there and David taught last week um on grandparents and children and parents and like literally talking about this and my first thought was like intergenerational trauma um based on some of the midrash from the very beginning of the parsha and then I got to this verse and I was like oh 
this is it. Um, and this is the moment where to me, it felt like Yitzhak is reliving this like really tough thing that happened in his life. And he comes and there's all sorts of in between of like, what happens to Yitzhak between that and now? Like what? We don't really know what happened. Like yeah. he took a wife, his wife, his mom died. He took a wife. He was, we're not really sure, but here he comes to the end of his life. What he thinks is his last, possibly his last moments. And so, and it comes and he uses this language. And so I went and I found the verse from the Akedah and it's this, and it's, and it's a similar thing. So Vayomer Yitzchak el Avraham um, and Yitzchak says to Avraham, Avi, Aviv, his father, excuse me, Vayomer, and he says, Avi, he says, my father, and Vayomer and Avraham says to him, Hineni bni, and it's this same parallel language that, that we've picked up on, really, um, and it's sort of this, like, it's coming back again in these final moments, um, which I thought was really interesting, and then even more so, wait, it here we go. So Rashi, so the question came up, I think a little bit like what was going on with his eyes or Rashad suggested that people have said there was cataract, it was cataracts, but Rashi brings this explanation from Bereshi Rabbah. Um, another explanation, when Isaac was bound upon the altar, so he's referring again to the Midrash is again, taking us back to the Akedat of this moment. And his father was about to slay him at that very moment the heavens opened, the ministering angels saw it and wept. And their tears flowed and fell upon Isaac's eyes, which thus became dim. So Rashi, this Midrash that Rashi's bringing is connecting, is connecting the Akedah and this moment as almost back to back, which I think is interesting if we're, if it's the same language. And then I think it's interesting because then it's in the same moment he's, that he's put, he's bringing the same language either way he's bringing the same language of his childhood trauma to his children um which is interesting um but either ways either through the years it stuck with him or it happened it might have happened right after so i thought that was i also really picked up on this connection to the akeda and thought it was really an interesting interesting one yeah, I think that um, what what this seems to be picking up, if we're going to like claim a mental or spiritual um, health connection here, I think that that it seems to be claiming that that there the trauma follows you, right? That there that there is trauma that can happen that even if you do not recognize that trauma in every moment of your life, that that trauma continues or gets brought up in moments where you might not expect it and it and it throws you off guard um and so obviously in the world of mental health um you would know that is like a trigger for example if something happens or a word or an experience or a person even right if god forbid um someone were abused by a parent um sometimes then joining another family by marrying someone and having there be a father or mother figure who has been terrible to you in your own family is very difficult. Um, sometimes it's comforting, but sometimes it's difficult depending on that relationship that you had in your own family. So what it seems to be connecting here 
is this idea that that moment of trauma for Isaac, no matter how old he was, right? You don't have to be a child to experience trauma. Um, that no matter how old he is in this moment that he's experiencing now, that there is that, that that trauma comes back, right? And maybe his eyes are dimmed in a physical way, or maybe he is affected by the trauma and therefore cannot go move to that next step without acknowledging that there was trauma there um that is that is preventing him from moving from moving to that next step um renee you have your hand up but you're also cooking so okay go ahead <laughs> um so i was saying to say something similar that it occurred to me that um you know metaphorically or whatever that his eyes became dim that it was Dafka, his eyes, and not any other body part that was affected by it. Mm. Because not only did he physically not was did it make his physical vision uh, difficult, but he was also not able to see the impact and the effect that it had on on mm. both on Isaac at the Akeda and mm-hmm. on Isaac and Asa later on in the story, where the where as Jackie pointed out, the verse is similar. Yeah. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I think that like the the symbolism of the eyes is also very, very powerful here that it wasn't a hand or, you know, is the way in which you see something that you perceive that you that you take in the world. It's um, the window of the soul. Isn't that what they say? The eyes are the window of the soul. That is what they say. Yes, they the proverbial they. Um, yeah, for sure. I also think um, just just because I think this community has done a lot of this this past week, I would also say that crying is a really um, is a really powerful emotion. Right. It's not always one here, Jackie. I'll, we can unshare your screen for a second. Um, it's not always one that is that is comfortable, right? Everyone's very comfortable smiling or laughing or, you know, showing those kinds of emotions in public. Uh, crying is not, right? Crying is not something that that necessarily people feel comfortable doing um, in a public setting. And so the fact that there were tears that affected this, I also think is really interesting. Um, like when I taught Midrashah yesterday and I broke down sharing the news about Esther, like that was... I was embarrassed, right? I knew I didn't have to be, but there is some societal thing about being embarrassed about crying in front of people. Um, last night I met with the residents to kind of go over this, this tragic death with them. And from the beginning, I was like, I will not cry. I will not cry. I will not. Right. And I totally could have, right? There, there, it would have been a total comforting, a comfortable space to do that. But there is something about crying and tears in society and i don't think that started in like you know the 1920s like i think that goes back to the time of the torah that there is something about crying that is extremely intimate because it does show an inside emotion on the outside in just a very physical way so the fact that the tears are what affected this from one place to another is also um a very compelling uh I don't know if you call it metaphor, but like symbolism of, of what's going on here with this trauma. I love, I just want to, I love that so much. So I'm a crier. I don't know if any of you have ever, I, I just, just all the time. It's so funny. Like I'm a crier. People know me happy tears, sad tears. Like things are really great. I'm going to cry at how happy I am. I'm sad. I'm going to cry at how sad I am. Um, and it's interesting <laughs> in, in one of our meetings, Rabbi Clickfeld and I talked about it and the way that the world responds to tears 
and how people react. And it's an emotion the same as, as anger or as happiness or all of those things. And the world responds so differently. If you put, if you put two people in the same situation and I'm going to cry about it and somebody's going to yell about it, like people are going to respond very different to the person who gets angry about it. And interestingly, a much more like pot, like, people are going to respond to that. And when you cry, people just totally like kind of freeze. And it's such an interesting, yeah, it's a really interesting the way the world deers with crying. When I was in a medical school, I'm definitely not going to say who, because it'd be, it, it is not something that I don't think, I don't, that I think this person would be proud of. There was a, um, there was a person working at the AJU uh, at the time when I was a student and they um, they had lollipops in their office, like it was a doctor's office, um, or like my office. I also have lollipops, I guess. Um, but anytime someone came into their office, if they started crying, they were handed a lollipop. <laughs> and I remember there was a person in my rabbinical school class who was like, you know, I think I'm going to tell them that it's not super helpful while I'm crying to just hand me a lollipop. Like, I'm not too. I didn't just get a shot. You could have tissues. You could ask me how I'm doing. But a lollipop, I think that's not so helpful. Um, So it is interesting that, you know, that that even if you are a compassionate human, for which this person was who had lollipops, um, that crying still could be something that that shows more of yourself than you're interested in showing. And if a person, interestingly, I'm also a big crier. I think it's just hard for me in, in, in professional quote in air quotes settings. Um, but that, that sharing is a very, um, is a very intimate thing. And so if you are, if you are open to crying, um, it also is interesting, as you just said, Jackie, is the person who you're crying to open to receiving that crying. Um, and so that's, that's also a very interesting piece. Yeah, Denise, go ahead. And then I'm going to share a commentary that has nothing to do with crying. But yeah, go ahead. Um, no, just that when you cried yesterday, Midrasha, um, it just, I don't know, I felt like it opened everybody's heart and it just made everybody kind of space, like not space, but safe to be there and just to be in that experience. Thank you. It's, um, it's why I allowed myself to do it. <laughs> um, I, uh, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I feel like Midrash Shah has been that kind of an experience for the whole, it, through so many things that, you know, we've just all been there. Yeah. with each other so you've loved yeah. that so thank you thank you thank you denise that's very very sweet and very touching to hear thank you um okay we're gonna i just want to share this one piece um oh do you want to respond to nancy first no we're not i mean yes nancy this is totally nancy wrote and we have worked so hard to make it okay for boys to cry um yes True, so true. The number one crier in my family is my father, so I never knew that that was a thing. Um, but but the people in my life who cry the most are actually also male. Um, so it is that is interesting. Um, we're not going to go down that road right this second. But yes, very interesting point. Um, okay, I want to share this commentary. If my computer will cooperate, here we go. Um, this is the Orachim. Oh, you all just went away. Oh, there you are. Nice to see you back. Um, okay. On top of everything else this week, my computer has just decided that this is the week that we don't need to work. So you're um, you're sharing your whole screen, Rabbi Shot. So we're seeing, I think, ourselves. Oh, oh no, mm, really? maybe that was just me. Nope, nope. It was. 
Oh, Apparently, I can't do technology. I mean, there's Sorry. Nothing, there's nothing on my screen that's super exciting right now, so you're welcome nope. to look at my whole screen. But nope, it was me. Sorry. Right. Um, if anybody sees any emails you want to respond to, go right ahead. All right. So here's the Orachaim. I wrote um, the same commentary as usual. Oh, great. Rabbi Shapiro and I do that all the time. Um, okay, so the Orachaim wrote, the reason that the Torah prefaces the paragraph by reporting that Isaac's eyesight failed him was to explain that Jacob took the blessings at a time when he was not afraid that his father would recognize him. The reason the paragraph is introduced with the word Vayahi, which always introduces a painful episode, interesting, I had not never focused on that before, is to remind us that the subterfuge Jacob had, uh, Jacob had to employ had many fateful consequences for the history of the Jewish people. So, well, actually, Jackie, I'll ask you, since you're the intern, um, why did you bring this commentary? And then I'll... It's funny. I brought it for the second half. I thought it was interesting. I thought this Vahi was interesting. And I remember we learned, I wish I could like remember all the examples, but we had talked about it last semester um, with Rabbi Eliana Yolkut, who's a wonderful teacher, Mm -hmm. um, about how Torah hints at things and about how it uses particular language in particular ways to tell us. So one of the big ones is also Achar Hadrim Ha'ela tells us that like time has skipped. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, this Vayahi, and it uses it also in other places that, that the Torah is like, in some ways, it's funny you talked about, it's not funny, but need a better word for that. Um, when you talked about triggers, it's almost like Torah is giving us a trigger warning. Yeah, yeah. And so right. it's like, this is going to be tough stuff. And it's like, it's preparing us for mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's giving us clues along the way of what's about to happen. And I thought that was interesting that our text does that. Yeah. I, um, I I think that I was most, um, compelled by this, uh, commentary because it brought Jacob in all of a sudden, right. I forget who was the person who brought up Jacob, um, but all of a sudden now we're talking about Jacob and we weren't even talking about Jacob before we were just talking about Isaac and Asaph. So it seems to be because of the second half of the commentary which Jackie just spoke to, it seems to be that this second half is basically claiming, well, we needed to make sure that it happened this way so that the rest of what happened that we know is coming happened in a correct order. But to me, and we could talk about this at another time, I've very often around the birthright piece of our narrative talked about how there's a birthright, but there's also a blessing um, and how the, the two are not the same. And so what does it mean that Jacob took a blessing at a time that was not going to um, mean that his father knew that he was giving him the blessing, but not the birthright, right? They very much so distinguish in this commentary that he took a blessing when he couldn't recognize him, not a birthright when he couldn't recognize him. So that just, that was interesting to me. Um, not having as much to do about the trauma piece, though Jackie just um, wove that in for us very, very nicely, um, but just more so the fact that the way in which our Torah brings in certain pieces is to say, well, this next thing that's coming, we needed this to happen this way, or else it wouldn't have continued on the way that we understand it. Elon, Denise, then Renee. Um, what troubles me about this particular commentary is, yeah. and I don't know, this may just be a bad translation, Yeah, is what it says is to remind us that the subterfuge that Jacob had to employ, kind of letting Jacob off the hook, right? 
But he says, no, 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 he had to employ it. He's actually not a bad guy in doing this. It's, it, he was, for some external reason, he had to employ it. Now, once again, I'm not sure whether that's just a bad commentary, but that I, I don't, you, one can accept Jacob as being overall a good person, but that actually this particular action was kind of, um, you know, kind of slimy, right? So I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there are, there are many, the reason I was laughing when you brought it up is because I think that the rabbis try to do that all the time with our matriarchs and patriarchs. Like, oh, wait a second. This looks bad for a guy that we're supposed to really like. So let's make sure that everybody knows that he's actually a good guy. But you're right. Like there's, there was no reason. Now, I actually think that it's Rebecca's fault. I think it's less Jacob's fault than it is Rebecca's fault. But that, that's for another, another story. Um, but but yeah, it definitely wasn't that Jacob had to employ, right? He didn't have to do this. Um, it, because we know the rest of the story, it seems to us that he had to, but had he not, it just would have been a different story. So I, I agree with you that I think the rabbis are trying to just like smooth over a part of this character that makes him that makes him seem better than his actions actually were. I thought it was, I think it's an interesting point. I, I agree. Like the rabbis do this all the time and somebody, and I feel terrible. I don't remember who said it, but somebody earlier said something about, I, about Asav. And it's something that I think the Torah does in both directions, which I think is worth noting is that yeah. it raises the characters. It, it not even Torah, Torah, Torah has its own bias, but Torah often is, Torah is the story, but, but the rabbis and the classic commentators raise the stories of Yaakov, of the mm-hmm. patriarchs and the matriarchs, and then they do exactly the opposite with characters like Esav and Ishmael, and they, like, like specifically point out, like, well, what did Esav do? He clearly deserved this thing, or, like, look, he was red, and he was angry, and all of these things, and it's interesting that the rabbis connect, like, all sorts of pieces in both directions. They don't just tell us who we should like, but they really try to influence who we shouldn't like. And they'll pick up on all Jacob had to do this clearly. And Aesop should never have done that thing that he was owed. So it's like a funny to get both pieces. I think it was last year. It could have been the year before. I don't actually remember, but, um, I did a whole Beitenu learning around how Aesop actually wasn't a bad guy. We just have made him out to be a bad guy. We like by describing him in certain societal ways that make him sound angrier or seem tougher but he didn't really do anything wrong we just created him into this bad guy that then we decided he was the father of the bad guys right so it's it's interesting that you're totally right that we are lifting up the characters the same thing happens without going into the politics of it but the same thing happens with Ishmael and Isaac right Ishmael's not a bad guy and the, he is the father of the Arab nations. They aren't bad people. So the fact that we lift up Isaac's story is for our own benefit. But if you read the Quran, Ishmael is raised up as, quote, the, the, the Isaac of their story, right? So it's a very, it's a very interesting, um, there could be a different class for next year, right? Like the ways in which our characters are are seen to us with blinders on. Um, and then the rabbis, as Elon was just pointing out to us, kind of try to, they try to also figure out the way that we should be, we should be understanding them. Uh, Denise, Renee, and then Bonnie. So 
kind of in a mental health, emotional health context, I feel like this whole idea, you know, that he had to do it or that there has to be only one person can get the blessing. Like, why couldn't yeah. they get the exact same blessing? Why does the older one have to be any different than the, you know, the, neither one the did older, anything? The older children are always better. I'll just say that from personal but, experience. But why? It doesn't, like, you know, like, there, it... Because Rebecca's the oldest, that's why. Yeah. Oh. oh, oh, You better hope your brothers aren't listening to your recordings, Rajan. (laughs) They definitely aren't. (laughs) But yeah, I think like you know there was so much fallout from this experience, and and in some ways, I mean, today we're still experiencing that fallout, and I think that happens a lot in relationships and in families where there's something there's like this premise that nobody questions, even though it's destructive for every single person involved in every direction. They all just go like, Oh yeah, well, you know, that's the way it is in capital letters. And, and you know, it could have been so different if someone just said, what if we don't do it this way? For sure. And I, I was, I was joking. I mean, I was joking when I said the first are always better because um, in, in many ways, actually, I in in the roles that my family members take that my brothers and I take very much. So my brother act, after me, <clears throat> Sammy, ends up being very much so the oldest sibling. Um, I ended up being kind of like the mom figure and he ends up being more of the older sibling figure. Um Someone is calling me whose name is not popping up. So I'm going to, that's my comment. I'm going to let Jackie take the comment from Renee and then Bonnie, and I will be right back. <laughs> You're up, Renee. You're muted. Any, oh, I don't see the thing anymore, but I think from what I remember, I was going to say is that um, Jacob really didn't have any uh, reason to feel guilty or bad because, or, or about his father seeing him because he knew that, he had nothing to lose that he was there to get a blessing. He wasn't, he had, he didn't do anything um, uh, bad or uh, uh, sneaky like Asa did. So there was no reason for him to feel anything but okay about getting the blessing. But Asa didn't. Like that's the, that's the thing that I think we, we end up playing into this a lot is that Asa did something wrong. He didn't. Jacob did. Right. Asa didn't actually do anything wrong. Um, Jacob asked for Asav in this part of the story. Jacob told Asav because Rebecca told him to, to go out into the field and to, you know, be basically out of the house so that he could do what he wanted to do. But that's trickery from Jacob's side. Asav actually just did what he was told. He, the rabbis, going back to Elon's point, the rabbis like to say, well, he was a simple guy. He didn't know to think critically that this might be happening why to go to Denise's point like why should you have to think critically you're a sibling you're a child you should trust what's being asked of you and told of you um and not have to feel like like your position in the family system is one that is determining what your what your behavior must be um so yeah that's I why think I that, don't that's why I don't yeah. see Jacob as being as being aware or, or savvy about the fact that he was involved in any kind of trickery because I think he was just doing what his mom told him to do oh yes yeah maybe his mom for sure but I think that Asav um Asav ends up getting kind of the the worst end of this deal and yet it's really just it's really Rebecca 
all right, Bonnie. Well, I was just going to say that um, to bring it back to mental health, uh, the idea of sibling rivalry and parental favoritism, and that we all have a lot to learn in, in listening and learning these stories yeah. so that we don't repeat all of these things and that each child grows up to be the best that they can be. A hundred percent. It's actually part of the reason that I love the blessing that, that Isaac ends up giving because it's a blessing very specific to the children he's giving it to. Um, Jacob then later on with his 12 kids does that as well. Um, each individual child ends up being given a blessing based on their name and based on their legacy. And, and that, for us in society, we hope that doesn't just happen at the end of life, but in the way that we name our kids and the, and the way that we bring them up in the world, in the way that we don't just say, oh, I have three children, they're all going to go to this school, but rather seeing what kind of educational needs they need. And so one might go to this school and one might go to another school, where like really individually, um, as you're saying, Bonnie, I'm just uplifting your statement that individually making sure that the kids are being brought up in such a way that they don't feel like, well, because I'm the third kid, I'm going to just do what my other two siblings did, but rather your Jacob, it's my brother, he's the third child, um, your Jacob, and therefore you're going to do this, this, and this, because that, that's what you need. Those are your interests. That's what we should provide for you. Yeah, that's a, it's a beautiful, a beautiful way of reading through, through Genesis. Uh, Marlies or Gary? Um, well, I was, I guess the thing, I guess, responding to Renee about Jacob, it, I'm not sure how old he was, but it would seem that I would assume he had some awareness that he was deceiving his father since he was putting on um, whatever skins, or I, I don't remember the exact yeah. story, yeah. but I know he was kind of impersonating his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I'm not sure how old he was supposed to be, but um, certainly had a certain level of awareness. And yeah. Um, and it also makes me kind of think that if the Torah has a sense of humor or what, but that because later what happens to him with, with Rachel and Leah is sort of the same kind of. A, it oh, interesting. Another kind of, he gets fooled. So. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yes. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the handmaid's tale class. So it's interesting that you bring that up. It, um, I never thought about those two as connected, right? That, that Jacob wakes up one day and he's like, wait a second, that's not the right woman. What is she doing in my bed? Um, right. Which, which is, I guess that is the Torah kind of being funny. Sounds pretty terrible, but, but it is, I guess, a funny. Um, but uh, yeah, Jacob definitely has an awareness about him because his mom tells him to do something and he does it, right? It, it, this is not the Akedah where, Abraham says to Isaac, we're going to go up this mountain. And he only asks the question once there's a knife raised above his head, right? That that there is some awareness of Jacob saying, I'm going to go along with this. Uh, We have no idea how old he was because the Torah does weird things like say people lived until 420 years old. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Um, But, but yeah, he was, he was old enough to be aware and um, developmentally aware enough to also make decisions. Okay, Rebecca, and then I'll pass it oh, over to Jack. Wait, can I add oh, something Jack? to that? Yes, of course. So two things I think are really interesting on that. So one, I went Jackie, to look. I'm, I'm very used to being the you in this situation where <laughs> Rabbi Shapiro talks and I have to interrupt. So I, <laughs> I'm taking on Rabbi Shapiro's role. So I'm very sorry, and you should interrupt me. <laughs> Great. Um, um, so two things that I think are interesting. So one, I scrolled a little bit. I, I cheated. I looked further out in our Persia because, you know, definitely cheating. 
could only read the one verse. Um, but it it actually Yaakov actually argues back, like with Rivka, like he like he says, but this or but that, and she's right. like, no, 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 do the thing, and right. she like an- has answers to his question, like he clearly has, he might not. It's unclear if he knows that what he is doing is wrong, but he has enough sechol to understand that it might not work and, like, argue through the plan of it. So that's one thing. The other thing is interesting. The other thing that I think is interesting, so we're right now studying documentary hypothesis in school, and um, which is very interesting and new to me. But something that's interesting is it talks about one of the ways that it talks about the Torah is that is potentially is like a collection of folk stories. And I think it was interesting, Marlies, when you connected these two stories of sort of this wrong person subterfuge, like what's the thing that the Torah, that, that someone was trying to tell us by giving us these sort of parallel stories. And it's funny because in this, in this partial, we have a different example also of getting the same story twice. Um, the story with, with Avi Malach, um happens twice in the Torah in similar, but different ways. But I, I also like Rabbi Schatz have never connected those two stories. They're definitely both stories. I know like Yaakov and the birthright and, 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 and Yaakov and his wife, but it's interesting of like, okay, but then what's the bigger lesson here? Like, what's the lesson of, and it's interesting, what's the lesson of like parental subterfuge? Like, this is two parents that have done this now. If we're saying that this was Rifka and then Levan is the one who does all this with, with, with Rachel and with Leah, like, what's the story there? And what does that bring to the table when it's like trusted adults in your life? that are doing and it also looks different because Rifkus's mother is a trusted adult and maybe Levan is like not a trusted adult um and so what is that are these two stories in juxtaposition to tell us something else I don't know now I'm going to be thinking on that for a while really interesting that's a really interesting that's a that's a different angle for sure the parent angle of it um versus what happens to the kids um it's very interesting okay Rebecca um, I just wanted to, it's sort of related in a way, um, in terms of the mental health, the, the thing that screams to me really here is how dysfunctional this family is that the, it's broken up into two units, but it's not, say, the adults that maybe are running the home in a certain way and the kids are another, but it's actually split between the two adults and the two children. And I can't even imagine another, you know, a, a an even more you know a more subtle example of that in a in a healthy family it's really completely completely wrong yeah yeah and i and it's it's also very interesting that the characters involved in this story are the only characters as of right now for whom they've been con- uh the word love has been associated with them so abraham to isaac and isaac to rebecca um, and yet, even with love, these kinds of things are happening, right? So what it, what does that mean, right? It, to me, if I was going to like write a drosh on this, to me, to me, that means that there needs to be a basis of love, but there also needs to be many other things that you work at as parents and as teachers and as guidance counselors and all those things to your children um, to make sure that that love is felt, but that all of those others, other opportunities of support and of care are, are in place. Um, yeah. 
it's a very, I, I've always been drawn to the Isaac Rebecca story because, you know, as a kid, it's fun when you see your name in the Torah. So I feel like I focused on it a lot when I was a kid. Um, and I've always been very drawn to to the the Jacob Asav piece because, as Elon pointed out, I think Asav gets a pretty, a pretty bad rap for basically doing nothing. Um, and, uh, but it is interesting to think about how this all stems from parental, I don't know about dysfunction, but just like um, lack of, of optimal parenting, maybe I'll say, right? Like they didn't know what it meant to be the most supportive parents they could be. Okay, Mike, and then I'm going to let Jackie have the last word because she deserves it. Well, as a pediatrician, you know, uh, I'm a pediatrician and love can be different for different. Totally. And and so uh, uh, and but yet the narrative of the story has to be according the the way it goes. So I think in that sense, Rebecca, even though she was portrayed uh, by Eliezer as being, uh, uh, you know, very kind person. And that's why she was Mm -hmm. chosen. uh, But she had to act this way because it was Jacob the person who has sort of had the face of, of, of God uh, uh, has to be the one that gets, uh, that gets the blessing. But that doesn't mean that uh, in, in a sense uh, uh, that, that there isn't also a different kind of blessing for Esau. And, totally. uh, and, and uh, I, I go back to what Rabbi Clickville said yesterday in his uh, uh, Rav Cook and, and how, he described the Jewish sort of neshoma as having a sort of almost like a, a core, a, a like he described it almost like in racial terms. And mm. when that core is there, that that's a story that is in the Bible. So we have to respect yeah. that. And that has to be that way. But yet that doesn't, uh, we have to remember that it shouldn't preclude these other things. And so maybe the fact that the eyes were dim is uh, somehow in reference to, yeah, it's not so clear all the time, but, uh, but uh, it's hard to describe this. And yes, the, you know, as, as people have said, it's dysfunctional family uh, going down the line here, but uh, there's a lot to take in and, and cut. And- sure. And there's a lot of ways that the story could have gone, right? I think that that's the most interesting piece is that when you look at, especially Genesis, because that's where most of the connection is to things like the Quran um, or other Semitic uh, cultural ancient stories, right? There's always a flood story and all, not even even beyond Semitic for, for the flood story, but, but these general like child sacrifice stories and all those kinds of things show up quite a bit in our Semitic, um, the cultures that were surrounding our Semitic culture. Um, but it could have been different, right? It could have been that Asav and Jacob got the opposite blessing that we know that they got because that's how it was supposed to be. And then the story would have been completely separate and maybe it would have been more like the Muslim Quran story than, than the one that we have. But you're right. I think that we read it in such a way that it's like, well, this had to happen because don't you know the rest of the story? <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's the part that, that I, that I challenge because I, I'm, 
I'm not the person who ever read the last page of the book to know how it was going to end. I wanted to just follow it along as it went. And so if I can divorce myself from what I know is coming, well, then why is this happening right now? Right. Why did this have to happen? Um, it's just a fun, a fun mind game when you have to read the, read the Torah every single year, <laughs> get to play games with yourself on the different stories. Um, okay. Jackie, you get to have the last commentary or last word or whatever you want to do to tie this all up. Um, I keep, so I'm still sitting with, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back to, to where I started because I can do that. Um, um, but of, of this came back to Yitzchak, that this came back to him, that this really hard moment came back to him in this, in this great moment. And I think for me, like the phrase that I've been sitting with for a while in, in the world we live in and in life is it doesn't have to be this way. And what do we do to break cycles? And for me, to Elon's point about, and Rabbi Schatz's point about the rabbis have an agenda. Chazal has an agenda. They want to see the best in the patriarchs and the matriarchs. And they have taken these characters that they decide they have, don't like. And I think for us, it's a challenge of, it doesn't have to be this way. How do we, how do we unlearn the stories of our childhood? Something in rabbinical school that's fun and, and anything that's in someone who learned text is you realize how much of what you learned as capital T Torah is not in the capital T Torah. Um, and how much is Midrash and how much is explanation and is the influence of who you learn from. And we have an opportunity to go back and to look in this class, even every week at like, okay, but what does the text actually say? And mm-hmm. we have the ability to break these patterns and maybe like Asaph wasn't such a bad guy and maybe mm-hmm. Ishmael wasn't such a bad guy. And, and how do we, how do we in some ways un, unburden ourselves with these expectations of, of, mi- I was going to say middle-aged, middle-aged, middle, medieval rabbis from the middle ages that's the word i'm looking for um and how do we middle really have rabbis <laughs> yeah not what i meant you should there are great middle-aged rabbis out there um and how and how do we how do how do we shake off this this pre-existing tough stuff that we've brought to the table and how do we see torah through new and um through new and undimmed eyes beautiful Thanks for really holding this for us, Jackie. I, I, I was glad to be inspired by your Torah, but also um, appreciate that, that you really held it um, and did most of the heavy lifting. So thank you for that. Um, uh, we will see you all. So next week, um, we will be, Rabbi Shiro is still away. Um, so I will be teaching this class with Julia, who's one of our other rabbinic residents. Um, and we'll do the same thing, just different, different resident on the other side of me. And uh, looking forward to being with you all this Shabbat, if you are with us. And I'm sure I'll see many of you over the course of this week as well. So have a restful Shabbat and um, hope everyone gets to have a little bit of peace and and hug people and uh, share a little bit more love in this world this weekend. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.